You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Spirit, indeed come, so that we are not afraid. Give us a spirit of deep hope in Jesus and your future promises. Father, now take these human words and sanctify them by your spirit for the honor of Christ's name. Amen. Well, good evening. I'm excited to be with you here again on my, if you haven't heard, it's my second to last Sunday here at the Advent. It's an honor to be with you. It's an especially an honor to preach to you here one more time at the Advent. You know, this church has had, here on the corner of 6th and 20th, it's been a testimony to God's relentless grace here in Birmingham. And for me personally, this community here, all of you, you've given me an opportunity to grow as a young pastor, and I want to thank each and every one of you for that opportunity to serve with you and to worship alongside you here for the last three and a half years. Well, I'd like to invite everyone now to turn in your Bible to Hebrews 11. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, or you can uh, take your pew Bible in front of you and turn to Hebrews 11. If you've been here, you know that we've been going through Hebrews over the past several weeks um, here at the 5 o'clock. And so that you can get a sense of where chapter 11 is, and because we'll um, even quote from chapter 10 in those sort of places, um, it'll give you a sense of where we are in Hebrews, and it'll be handy so we can skip around a bit. And it's a big passage, so I hope you'll bear with me. We won't have time to look at each verse. I'm sure you're quite thankful for that, actually. We won't look at each verse. We'll just kind of take a summary look at Hebrews. And what we saw, especially when I was preaching last time, what we saw is that Hebrews is a pretty elaborate writing, but Hebrews at its core is doing one thing. Like all of the Bible, it's driving us to Jesus through repentance and faith. Hebrews is painting this elaborate portrait of Jesus. It's, it's like me pointing to that stained glass up there. It's pointing us to Jesus and saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Hebrews' aim is to get you to look to Jesus in hope and in faith. And I have to say, I've been personally wrestling and uh, benefiting this week from wrestling with Hebrews 11 because, I mean, quite honestly, in Bible studies with people, I wouldn't define faith this way. I wouldn't have thought to have defined faith the way that Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines it. And I do need to say right now, and you may want to have your pen handy, you may want to write this down, I'm not exactly happy with the ESV translation that we have in our bulletins or that's your pew Bible. Not exactly happy with that translation there in verse 1. So let me give you a literal translation of verse 1 of chapter 11. And by the way, here's where I think an example of, you know, where the King James is a little bit better than our modern translations. So here's a literal translation of verse 1 that you want to keep handy. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of things you cannot see. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. And if i got to be honest, I wouldn't have defined it that way. I would have defined it more like the way the ESV tends to translate the verse. And in case you think I'm making this up, let me read to you what the Greek dictionary says about this verse, how to translate it. It says, In faith, things hoped for become reality. There is a now power 
to this faith. In faith, things hoped for in the future, they become reality. But this translation is kind of hard to understand. So what does that mean? So here's what I think Hebrews 11 is getting us here at the 5 o'clock to see. Are you ready for it? Your hope, your hope in the future determines your now. Your hope for the future changes how you are going to live right now. And if your hope determines your now, I think it might be good if we put the spotlight on us for just a few seconds. And let's ask the text three questions. So three questions we're going to ask tonight from Hebrews 11. So one, what ought our now to look like? Or excuse me, that's, that's point two. So point one, what does our now look like right now? Point two, what ought our now to look like? Three, how are we going to get there? One, what does our now look like right now? Two, what ought it to look like? What ought we to be known for? And three, how are we going to get there? So firstly, what are we Christians known for right now? What does our now look like? Well, you might remember several weeks ago, we talked about how Hebrews is a letter that was written to Christians who were suffering. Look at chapter 10, if you have your Bible now, look at chapter 10, verse 32. It says this, chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And then quickly flip over to chapter 11, verse 36. So chapter 11, verse 36, it tells us about people of faith who suffered. Verse 36, others others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment, Why did the author of Hebrews need to say this? Because Hebrews was written to a community of people who were suffering. Some of them have had their property taken. Some of them have been publicly shamed. Some of them have probably endured physical persecution. Their their pagan neighbors are rejecting them as Christians, and so they're suffering. And when Christians are suffering, when anyone's suffering, the temptation is to give up hope. And in this process, what the church began to look like It wasn't being famous for having deep hope in Jesus. No, instead they began to look more like their pagan neighbors. So Hebrews is written saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Have faith and hope in Jesus. And the Christians here in this community, what what was happening is they were beginning to be known with, say, their wealth, their money, their power, the way they were acting sexually. All of these things, they were beginning to look like their pagan neighbors. And basically what it's exposing is that there was a deeper heart condition underneath. The Christian community that received this letter called Hebrews, they were beginning to act more fearful, not hopeful. They were beginning to act distrustful, not trusting in God's promises for the future. And Hebrews is written to say to you, where your hope is determines your now. So if that's what the church was beginning to look like back then, well, what about us? What do we look like right now? Suffering has a way of, it it has an exposing sort of work to it. Painful experiences that you and I go through have a way of checking our temperature. If your hope is found ultimately in people approving you, what's going to happen when you don't get the applause you're looking for? If your hope is found in your career, what happens when you lose your job? 
What happens when you don't get the thing you're craving so much? And suffering basically is a way of taking these things we crave so dearly, it's taking them away. And I can tell you that through personal experience or talking with people, you're going to want to do one of three things when you go through pain if you don't have a deep and abiding hope in the gospel. You're going to, one, get really angry and be self-righteous about it. Two, you might be like, got to mention it. Two, you might be like Taylor Swift and say, I'm going to just shake it off, you know, act like you don't care. Um, or three, you might get cynical. Well, what is that? What are these what are these responses? They're ways for you and me to deal with our pain, our grief, our loss. And so Hebrews is asking you and me right now to look at our lives and check our temperature. Where is our hope? And Hebrews says, don't look to other things in hope. There is a better hope. But more than just on a personal level, what does our now look like right now as the church as a whole? It's obvious that Christians here in the West, it may not be physical persecution, but we're entering a time where it's going to be tough to be a Christian. You may not get a certain job because you are trying to be a faithful Christian. So we're beginning to suffer in some sort of way. So let's check our temperature. What do we look like right now? Well, have you ever heard the common complaint? I mean, what, what are Christians famous for with tipping at restaurants? Not for being, you know, really good tippers. It's a stereotype, of course. But the stereotype is what? Christians leave a track, and they are bad tippers. Just ask any server, and that's the response you will get. I know because I myself was a server. Or if you ask my friends at a particular store in town that will go unnamed, by the way, ask them um, which demographic tends to be famous for being short and irritable and rude. Can you guess what it is? It's the Sunday afternoon church crowd. They've actually said that to me, and I've experienced it. My point is this, that the word Christian in our neighbors' minds, in our non-Christian neighbors' minds, it doesn't connote warmth, grace, empathy, love. And so if Hebrews is right, if our hope determines our now, if your belief about the future that God has promised changes the way you are going to live like right now, well, what does this say about us? Do we have an otherworldly kind of hope that Hebrews is calling us to? Or take a step back even further. What about the recent political disagreements? On the one hand, you have the political left saying, you know, vote for us and everything's going to change. And then on the other hand, you have the political right saying the exact same thing. Everything's going to be different if you vote for our side. And then, you know, if you voted for the one that, the group that won, you're probably celebrating and scoffing at the other group. Or if you're part of the losing side, you're probably, you may be hysterical right now. And what does that say? Whatever response you're giving, whether it's a positive response or a negative response, if your hope determines you're now, what does that say about us? Where is our hope? Is our hope in the here and now, or is it in God's promised future, what he has done in and through Jesus Christ? Do we have an otherworldly risk-taking, radical flavor? And then, of course, I feel like we have to mention right now the news that most of you have probably seen that broke this week. There was a grand jury report out of Pennsylvania 
where there were a thousand victims of child abuse in the Catholic Church, and of course it was covered up. Now you may see, say, well, that's Catholics, I'm not Catholic. But let me tell you, this is an us issue, it's not a them issue. If only because the Nicene Creed that we will respond, that we will recite in just a moment, Catholics recite the same creed. And does it matter for people on the outside of the church? For all of them, it's Christian, right? And, and even more, Protestants, we Protestants, we have a history of our own abuses and our own scandals. This is what we are famous for. This is what our now looks like, even though it could be really different. So that takes us to point two. This is what our now looks like right now, but what ought our now to look like? Here in chapter 11, all of these stories... We have a long list of people who do pretty crazy things in the eyes of the world around them. These aren't larger-than-life heroes who are perfect. They're not better, kinder, and nicer than you and me. No, they're, they're sinners just like you and me who've received grace. One person in the list is even a prostitute. But you, you want to know the one thing that unites all of them? They have a faith in God's promises, and because of that faith, they do radically risk-taking things that people find crazy. They are countercultural. We could pick any one of these stories here in chapter 11, but take a look at verse 24 for just picking one at random. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now this is an interesting case study here. What Moses did, what he did was give up living life in luxury. He gave up his status, his money, his power and privilege. He gave it up so that he could serve God and be with God's people. Moses, in light of God's promised future, he was self-forgetful. And he did all of this because of his hope in God's promises. And if you were paying attention to the way Hebrews 11 is written, Hebrews 11 is, it, it seems clear that it was written to basically invite you and me into the story and for us to write ourselves into the story and to live by this same radical, risk-taking faith. It's encouraging you and me to find our place here in this story. There's an invitation to pick up the baton that has been passed from each and every character. So Church of the Advent... Let's pick up the baton and run with everything we got because of a deep and abiding hope in the gospel. Let's redefine the expectations that people have of Christians in our day. Let's embody hope in our hopeless world. What a great time it is to be alive and to be a Christian what an opportunity we have. What a great time it is to be a Christian in our world. I was having dinner just maybe a few weeks ago with the head of a really good Christian school, and over dinner I was complaining. My friends know I like to complain, so I was complaining again. And um, I was complaining to him about my Christian school experience, and he said, well, you know, Brandon, um, the Christian school movement got started back in the early mid 1900s over two things. They were for, or excuse me, they were against racial integration in schools, 
and they were also against the latest science teachings, which, by the way, we maybe shouldn't have been known for being against those things in the first place, but we were against those two things, so we started Christian schools. And then he said something that really stuck with me. He said, Christians have told the world what we're against, but we haven't told them what we're for. We've told them what we're against, but we haven't told them what we're for. If you've been around the Advent for even just a couple of months, you know the one thing that we are for is the freeing power of the gospel. And if we have a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then surely we ought to live a little bit crazy like these people here in Hebrews 11. Our time, our treasure, our talents, in light of the gospel, we will steward them so differently. If we take the gospel to heart, we might even unsettle people who are so used to Christians being sort of, you know, on the one side or the other, used to sort of differences and polarizations and dichotomies. And we might even be famous for willing to cross boundaries that no one else is willing to cross. Isn't this what grace does? Isn't this what hope in God's promised future looks like? There's a scholar named uh, Larry Hurtado. I've mentioned him here before. And he asked himself, he's written on early Christianity. He, He asked himself, why on earth did anyone in the Roman Empire become a Christian? They were a hated group. They were on the margins of society. Why on earth would anyone choose to join that group who is being persecuted? And he says, well, he gives a number of reasons, but one of the things that stuck with me was this case, this example of infant exposure, which is basically where people in Roman society would leave unwanted children out on the street to be taken into slavery, where they might throw them into the sea to drown, or they might leave them in the wild for animals to eat them. This is what people did in that society. And guess what Christians were famous for? They were famous for taking in the unwanted children. They did something radically risk-taking, crazy, countercultural. They were known to be for something. What if the Advent were famous for being for something in our city? What if the Advent were famous for being self-forgetful like Moses? What if our church were known as the little band of disciples who were countercultural, who were willing to surrender our status, our money, our power for those who do not have such money, power, and prestige? Well, that starts right here among us in this room. What if our little community right here was a place in our city where if you are lonely, you are not lonely alone? Where if you are struggling in your marriage, you are not struggling alone. If you are an exhausted father who feels like a failure, you are not an exhausted father alone. Where if you are a single mom, you are not a single mom alone. Where if you are sexually starved and broken, you are not sexually starved and broken alone. Where if you have cancer, you do not have cancer alone. We could do this together. Our neighbors could look at us and say, look at how those Adventers love one another in a risk-taking, countercultural way. But always hospitable, always having our doors open and receiving in the outsider. And when we mess up, and we surely know we will, we will be quick to acknowledge our mess-ups and our sins and our failures, 
because this is what a gospel-shaped identity does. Is this not a fruit of experiencing God's radical grace and mercy? If we have received such mercy, shouldn't we extend that mercy to our neighbors? Shall we go there together, Church of the Advent? So we've seen what our now looks like right now as the church, but Hebrews 11 has shown us what our now could look like and what Hebrews 11 is calling us to embody. But the final question is, well, how are we going to get there? So look at verse 10 of chapter 11 with me. This is speaking about Abraham now who left his homeland. It says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And why did, and why did Moses do what he did? Skip down to verse 26. And you may want to underline the end of this verse here. Verse 26, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was, underline it, looking to the reward. What is all this saying? All of these people, they're just ordinary people. They weren't perfect. They were just dysfunctional and messed up and sinful as you and me. And sinful you may be, broken you may be, but God nevertheless promises you a future. And isn't this what the Advent loves to talk about so much? God's grace and mercy in the gospel in Jesus Christ? And what Hebrews is pressing on you and me to see right now, it's pressing the pedal to the metal, is that when you trust in God's promised future, you are now marked by an otherworldly hope. Your hope determines your now. This is Jesus' vision for you, his church. He has called you to a living hope. A living hope. He's not called you to fear. He has called you by his, his grace. He has come to you in all your brokenness, all your hopelessness, and he has given you a hope. And he has promised you his city, life in his city, where every one of us has a spot at the table. Not because we earned it, but because our God loves to give and keep on giving. And when that's your future, the world could never shake it. I love what Scott Sauls, a pastor in Nashville, tweeted this week. He tweeted this. How would things be different if we started actively surprising our neighbors, especially those who do not believe as we do, with a life-giving, otherworldly love? Surprising them with otherworldly love. You know what will get us there? A faith that is fully convinced of God's promised future, of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because Jesus now lives to triumph. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Biblical hope is not saying, like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's fully convinced that God's story, that our story will turn out all right because we've heard the gospel. This is hope. Remember verse 1? Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Faith is, has a now power to it. So do you see what Hebrews 11 is getting at? These people here, these stories that are listed here in Hebrews 11, they're stories that testify to us of a greater wealth, a wealth that we can never find in this world, of a city that outshines every human city. What is this city? It's the place where God will be our God and we will be his people. My cousin just got engaged not too long ago and now they're planning for their wedding 
in May, if you are a Christian, you are in the engagement period and you are longing and waiting for that wedding day where God will be our God and we will be his people. So Hebrews is calling you to have hope and look forward to the future that God has promised each and every one of you. As I was driving this week back to Birmingham, I was listening to the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. And on this particular episode, she was interviewing Joe Carter, who, is, uh, who was, I think he's dead now, was a musician. And he was talking about spirituals. Uh, and of course, those, song, those are songs that were written by slaves um, back in the 1800s. And spirituals are songs that are marked by suffering, and yet they are marked by hope as well. And one of the things he said that stuck with me was how the blues are also songs about suffering, but they don't have any hope. They look downward, but spirituals are different. They, they look upward. So blues look downward because they talk about suffering, but they don't have hope. Spirituals, on the other hand, look upward because they have hope, and yet they acknowledge the suffering. They did this because they had met Jesus and they knew there was more to the story in spite of, they were, of what they were experiencing right now. So how do we get to this new now? It will be by a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What creates this craziness, what creates this radical risk-taking flavor, this radical risk-taking aroma of hope is the reward it's coming, and it is everything to you and to me. We are looking forward in hope to God's promised future. This is Jesus' vision for you, his church. And when we look like this, we will look so different. Jesus is calling you and me to look really different from the way the church has looked and from the way the world expects us to look. It's like the psalm we just read, right? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. What a great time it is to be alive and to be a Christian. God wants you to have a courageous commitment to his promised future. And your hope in that future determines your now, and we could look totally different from the way this world expects us to look. This sermon has not been written for me. It's been written for you, for all of us. For all of us together to have a hope in God's promises. So I think it's only right that I not end by praying alone. I think it's right that we all stand together. If you want to take your bulletin, take your bulletin and stand in resurrection hope. And turn to page one, the first inside of your page. There's a prayer for the city of Birmingham on the right. And in resurrection hope, let us pray together the prayer for the city of Birmingham that is on the right. Together and aloud, let us pray. Heavenly Father, in your word, you have given us a vision of that holy city to which the nations of the world bring their glory. Behold and visit, we pray, the cities of the earth, especially our city of Birmingham. Renew the ties of mutual regard which form our civic life. Send us honest and able leaders. Enable us to eliminate poverty, prejudice, and oppression, that peace may prevail with righteousness and justice with order. 
and that men and women from different cultures and with differing talents may find with one another the fulfillment of their humanity. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.